Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is it normal to have nosebleeds? Is it normal to feel crazy horny? Is it normal that my ribs hurt this much? Is it normal to suddenly start hating vegetables? Is it normal to be so tired all the time? Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. This podcast follows my pregnancy journey and with the help of some amazing, brilliant experts is here to reassure you and inform you about all aspects of pregnancy and giving birth. We're now at week 39 and we're nearly at the end of the road now, please, hopefully. Um, and I'm joined by our regular midwife, Isabel Borton. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jess. We're finally there. <laughs> well, nearly. <laughs> I don't know if I'm raring to go and I don't actually know if I'm ready. I haven't packed the bag. I know I was supposed to do that a few weeks ago. I haven't even bought some nappies. My mum is in my ear being like, darling, do you want me to wash any of the babe grows? I think I'm just, uh, maybe I'm in denial that I'm about to give birth. But yes, is that normal for either you to be completely overprepared or to just kind of be very lackadaisical. Is it lackadaisical? What's that? (laughs) Just feeling a bit more relaxed. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. It can kind of go in one of two ways. I think often probably if you're having your first baby, your birth bag has been packed maybe since like 34 weeks. And if you're having a subsequent baby, you know, life is just going on and you're kind of just you know it's coming but you're you're probably focusing on a million other things as well um so that sounds quite normal but I think also quite good in a way it sounds like you're just accepting that it's birth is going to happen at some point and that's quite a good attitude in a way I think that yeah I think there is something kind of reassuring about the fact that I know I will be meeting my baby within the next two and a half weeks um whether that is the way that my birth plan in my head has written it up or whether that's through another way I will be with my baby in two and a half weeks and that is exciting um I think it is this unknown that can become quite stressful for pregnant people at this time because it's that kind of waiting game of being like is that little pain in my tummy uh, something a rumbling or is it just indigestion um, and so it's this kind of you're trying to be relaxed because you know that's what you're supposed to be doing but equally you're on tenterhooks because you are being quite hyper aware of every ache or rumble so yeah I don't know what the I mean 
what would be the clearest indication that you're in labour and you're not just you don't just need to do a poo so yeah I think you know towards the end of pregnancy your body is doing a lot to prepare um to go into labour and some of those things you're aware of and some of those things you might not be aware of but I think you're right it's this process of kind of tuning in to what's happening in your body and I think part of that is trusting as well I think we don't really question our body's ability to grow a baby but we question our body's ability to birth a baby Mm. and I think if you can apply the same kind of trust in your body's capability that you have you know probably not really thought much about all the things your body's been doing throughout pregnancy to kind of nurture this baby it just happens and it's not that I'm suggesting really, you know, that, that, you know, birth always just happens and you're, you know, we know that sometimes things are a bit more complicated and a bit more unpredictable than that. But I think it's just about kind of maybe trying to like tune in to knowing what's kind of normal in your body and trusting your instincts. And that's not just about like assuming that everything's going to be fine, but it's about knowing your body and trusting that in the same you know assuming in a way that your body's going to do what it's supposed to do but also if it doesn't that you will know that you will feel like something isn't quite right trusting your gut feeling all of those kind of things um so towards the end of your pregnancy some of the things that are happening in your body to prepare for labor which are kind of pre-labor preparation and some of these things you know you you will notice changes so you said before like various like aches and pains you might get a bit of backache you might feel almost like period type pains at times and lots is happening inside um you also mentioned getting things ready so that's like what we call nesting kind of doing all the washing doing cleaning getting everything ready and and that's also part of your everything you know in your instincts telling you to prepare for the arrival of your baby so some of the things you might notice are if you you might have what's called a show or like the mucus plug coming away and this is basically your cervix has been really tightly firmly closed kind of keeping your baby in essentially for all of your pregnancy um protecting there's a big plug of mucus inside the cervix so the cervix is basically like a tube and um, inside that is this kind of thick plug of mucus which has been protecting your baby from anything getting inside um, you know bacteria and things and that as your cervix starts to soften and change position uh, and kind of shorten you often will see this kind of mucus plug coming away um, and it can be the best way to describe it. It's kind of like a big sticky lump of snot, as delightful as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's not like other discharge you may be familiar with. It's slightly more like um, kid slime or something like that. Is that a, you know what I mean? It's got a bit more elasticity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To it. It's like quite yeah chunky and gooey almost like a sticky and mucusy and you know if you were to have it in your hand you wouldn't like easily separate it Um, and it might be streaked with uh kind of blood a little bit like it might have a bit of brown or pink in it 
so that's also normal if it's not completely clear it's kind of yeah like a chunk chunky uh sticky snot type substance is it common for it to come out in one go or can it kind of come out in dribs and drabs yeah it can kind of be gradually released so you might see a bit um sometimes women get it in like a one kind of clump but sometimes it's it comes out in bits and sometimes people don't see it at all until they're in labor um right or might not really be aware of it in labor because just lots of stuff's coming out at that point yes. <laughs> um so yeah that that's one thing you might see and it doesn't necessarily mean labor's you know imminent but it means that the changes that need to happen are happening great what else could you b- expect so another sign that labour is starting is sometimes at the start of labour, people experience what we call spontaneous rupture of membranes, which is a fancy way of saying your waters are broken. And this can happen at any point throughout labour. It doesn't mean, you know, your, your waters don't have to break at the start of your labour for labour to happen. But sometimes that is what happens for people that's that's how their kind of labor starts and it's not always like in the movies so it's very rarely a big gush um most often you'll feel kind of sudden kind of rush of fluid um trickle of fluid and you'll think oh i'm you know feeling wet in my underwear and maybe put a pad on and you'll notice that the water keeps coming um, so with the waters around your baby, as your if your baby's quite low in the pelvis, you might just have an initial kind of gush of fluid and then their head might almost act as like a bit of a plug. And it's just as they kind of move around that you feel or if you have if you're having kind of tightenings or contractions that you're then having little bits of fluid to continue coming. So it's always a good point if you think your waters have broken or if you're not sure, so if you feel like you've had some fluid leaking and you're not quite sure, it's always a good idea to speak to your maternity unit at that point mm-hmm. um, to let them know. And generally, they even if your contractions haven't started yet, they'll generally still want to see you and do a kind of general well-being assessment on you and baby at that point and then make a plan with you moving forward. Most people okay. will kind of go into labour once their waters are broken. Occasionally that doesn't happen and we, we put a plan in place of you if, if that's the case. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely a sure sign that things are happening. <laughs> um, so another thing is um, you might have some loose bowel movements, not kind of full-blown diarrhoea, but you might notice yourself going more regularly and it seeming a bit looser than normal and that is thought to kind of be because your body's preparing for labour and is kind of almost clearing itself out a little bit Um, and also if you are starting to feel kind of backache or period type cramping those are signs that your uterus is you know starting to have mild contractions and that can kind of because your bowel is close to your uterus it can almost stimulate your bowel as well Mm. so that's one thing and also there's as always as we always like to refer to hormones (laughs) um there's lots of kind of changes in hormones happening as well and in terms of what actually causes you to go into labor uh it's actually your baby releasing hormones or like a hormonal precursor 
And that kind of travels through your placenta and kind of stimulates you to release certain hormones as well. So these are things like oestrogen, um, which has been lower up until this point, and also prostaglandins, which are a type of hormone that help to soften your cervix and um, kind of what we say ripen the cervix because the cervix goes through this process of kind of softening and shortening. Uh, in labour. And also, should we talk about oxytocin? Because where is the oxytocin coming from? Because that can be a real help in labour, right? Yeah, exactly. So your oestrogen is helping to kind of increase your oxytocin receptors. And those are basically, you know, if you imagine your oxytocin travelling around the body, it needs like a receptor. So it needs like a little plug socket to attach to. And you know, you have these in your brain and in your breasts and in your uterus and these are all developing and increasing so that when this kind of oxytocin is then released, there's even more chance, you know, for labour for it to um, have the effect that it needs to. So you'll probably find, you know, sometimes people describe this process of kind of turning inward in the later part of their pregnancy and kind of like with that nesting instinct kind of wanting to be in their home environment wanting to kind of slow down a bit you know might be feeling quite tired and wanting to take you know naps in the afternoon and things and just feeling in that kind of safe secure environment that's really interesting maybe I am going to have a baby soon because I just want to lie on my bed and watch (laughs) Netflix and not speak to anybody And I could literally stay there all day and I'm very, very tired. But one thing, and I don't know whether this is my mind going in overdrive. I've been watching this thing, which I told you about, Izzy. It's this like very dated Australian program called Offspring. And there's a very handsome anaesthetist on it. And every time he has a romantic kind of chat with the obstetrician, who's like the protagonist, I swear to God, my Braxton Hicks goes wild. So um, (laughs) is is this anaesthetist helping me produce the love hormone oxytocin and should I just carry on watching this program and everything that is rom-com because I tell you the Euro bloody semi-final didn't do the same thing to me it stressed me out (laughs) yeah well it sounds like there's some kind of oxytocin release happening there when you when you see this anaesthetist (laughs) he's very very dishy and I do feel quite intense Braxton Hicks or (laughs) early labour contractions so listen guys tip from me go and perv on the anaesthetist in um, (laughs) in it maybe don't pay attention to all the different births because it may not be up your street um I think everyone would really love to know about those kind of main stages of labour because some people may think that they're going to have the baby in one in a second after getting like one contraction but there are different stages and they have all different terminologies so can you take us through these stages of labor sure um i think with stages of labor it can sound very prescriptive and like these are really defined moments and our bodies don't work that way it's quite a kind of fluid process but there are kind of key features for you to kind of recognise in what's ha- in terms of what's happening in your body, which will help you to know what stage you're at and kind of what you can expect to happen next. And obviously, everyone's different and some people will have 
very quick labours and some people will have really long labours and these are kind of general things that we can apply. So in the earlier stage of labour, it's sometimes called the latent phase. This is when your contractions are essentially they're kind of not very regular in their pattern. They might be quite short. You might be quite comfortable when you're feeling them, like in terms of, you know, you might have one but still be able to talk through it. And they might start and stop. So you might find that the contractions start and then, you know, you they start to build up and become more regular and then everything completely stops. And this is really common in your first, if it's your first baby, this kind of start-stop labour. And I think sometimes people during this stage of labour feel like it's all for nothing. Mm. And that's really, really not the case. So much is happening during this stage. And it's really important that we recognise that it's not just like these contractions aren't doing anything just mm. because they're irregular and short. They are really helping you to progress along the journey of labour. And I think sometimes people feel that way because it's during this stage of labour that we uh, recommend that you're at home. Mm. And I think sometimes maybe that's interpreted as, oh, you don't need to come at hospital yet because you're, you know, you're not in proper labour. And that's, you know, that's not the case some things things are happening you're on the journey to to meeting your baby in terms of the next stage of labor what we call the active stage this basically refers to the fact that the contractions have become regular they're every few minutes so generally coming every kind of two or three minutes and lasting 60 seconds and they're really predictable like if you were to you know draw these waves on a piece of paper it would be every single one the same kind of strength and free yeah Yeah, exactly so it's this really kind of rhythmic pattern to the contractions and you're still getting you know that that time in between each contraction where your uterus completely softens and relaxes but then the next one will come and it's very kind of rhythmic and and predictable and we know generally that when you're at that point where those contractions are really regular, um, that they generally will be, you know, dilating the cervix. So the cervix will be opening with those strong, regular contractions. And, you know, we could enter a whole discussion about cervical dilatation. And I know that everyone will be hoping when they arrive at hospital that they are that magic four centimetres or more. But regardless of, of that you know, if you're not having strong regular contractions, it's quite unlikely that you're in that kind of active stage of labour. And within the active stage, we kind of talk about the first and second stage. This all sounds very confusing, but essentially you can kind of divide that into your nice regular contractions that are dilating your cervix as being the first stage. Mm. And then once your cervix is totally kind of dilated, drawn up around the baby's head, has kind of become part of that main body of the uterus and your baby has descended through the pelvis. That's the the second stage. And the second stage is 
basically what most people will be known as like the pushing stage or you know um the stage when your baby is coming out um and you're having urge to push or if you're not having an urge to push because of the pain relief you're using you'll be in a process of being guided to push um with with your midwife that's a bit of a whistle stop tour in terms of what to expect so did you call it the second stage the pushing bit or is it the third stage would you say that is so yeah the second stage is where the cervix is dilated and generally is accompanied with these kind of expulsive contractions so in a physiological labor where the woman doesn't have for example an epidural generally what will happen is once the cervix is dilated and the baby has descended onto the pelvic floor so the baby's come down onto the pelvis that baby's head is then pushing on a set of nerves that cause these kind of expulsive you know movements from the um, person giving birth so it's sometimes called almost like it's like an involuntary thing in the same way that we might you know you breathe and your heart beats in the same thing you can't really control what's Mm, happening mm. when when your baby's in in that prime position and in terms of the third stage so the third stage of labor is your baby's arrived and then you have to give birth to your placenta so it's the placenta that then needs to come from the body will go through a process of your uterus continues to contract after the birth of your baby this causes the placenta to detach from the wall of the uterus and then you know we talked about some options during the the birth preferences week and you have options for how you deliver your placenta but um that's the kind of those three stages let's talk about that second stage because there's something there's a word that lots of people will have heard of or they may not have heard about this word but it's this very common feeling where you almost want to backpedal and you're like I can't do this anymore I can't do it I can't have this baby can you explain that moment and what it's called and why that happens yeah so I think you're referring to what we call transition yeah um which is basically it's called transition because you're you're kind of transitioning from the first to the second stage so you've reached a point where and you know if we were to do in a vaginal examination at this point you might be around you know eight to nine centimeters right but okay we don't need to do an examination to kind of diagnose sign. transition <laughs> yeah it's just you know if if in terms of knowing where you're at at the stage and I think things common things to be feeling saying experiencing at this time are wanting to give up wanting to go home <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> I want to go home uh okay <laughs> we can't do that I'm afraid um unless you're already at home of course um feeling maybe even requesting more pain relief um and I think this is quite an interesting one because I think a lot of the time what what people need in this at this point in their labor is they're having a bit of a rush of some hormones so actually adrenaline is coming in here and which is needed at this point exactly yeah okay. so we kind of we're quite down on adrenaline in the rest of the labor we say we don't want adrenaline we want to keep everything calm but actually adrenaline does serve a purpose um in that it kind of sometimes actually causes a bit of a pause at this point in the labor and allows you to almost rest and recuperate before the final 
pushing stage. And sometimes it can also trigger stronger contractions kind of to follow. So I think what people need at this point, what women need is support. They need to be reassured that they are nearly there and that everything is okay and that they are safe. Mm. And that might be where that request for pain relief is coming from. They might actually want some extra pain relief and that's also fine. What could they have at this stage? So, you know, for some people, it will be that they have been using other forms of pain relief and they decide that they want an epidural. And I think it's like we've spoken about before, it's a case of trying to determine whether that's something they really want or whether it is that they just need a bit more support at that point. Because, you know, even if we're getting very close to the birth of the baby, it can still take time to push your baby out. It can be a few hours sometimes if you're having a first baby, kind of two hours. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have an epidural at this point. Sometimes, though, if you're feeling these transitional feelings, baby is arriving soon and it might actually prolong things to to not just kind of go with what's happening. So I think that process of transition can feel quite scary. And in reality, if that transition, um, that process of transition, you you will only really experience that if you are not using uh, certain forms of pain relief like an epidural if you had an epidural it's un- you're not really going to feel that that process of of the transition so if you're in like a birth center or if you're at home you're more likely to to go through that kind of period of transition if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
question. Also, I also thought it would be good to chat about because um, there's kind of different sounds that are associated with different stages of labour. Um, and I think that one of the tests and that I definitely uh, tripped up on on the first labour was that I thought I was well, I was bossing it, but I thought I was far more far along because I had quite regular contractions. But I was able to talk to the midwife on the phone. And that's sometimes a test that the midwife does, isn't it? But they say, can you put on the, the pregnant person? Can you put on the mother? And maybe this isn't always the way. So, but they're kind of, there does become this um, difference between the which zone you're in with birthing. It becomes slightly more primal, I think, in that kind of, in that active labour, when you're kind of past the four centimetres, maybe the the contractions are more um, strong, where you maybe can't communicate in the same way. And that's when you're really relying on your birth partner to really kind of communicate for you. Do you find that that's quite common? Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for the sounds that people are making at different stages of labour. And, you know, absolutely, when we you know as a midwife i i'm on call for um the women i care for and when i receive that call generally it will be the partner the or the birth partner calling me and they'll say oh you know my wife's in labor or my partner's in labor and we're just calling and and i will always ask to speak to you know the woman or the person in labor because this really gives a lot of information of like what's happening and generally like you said Jess if during a contraction if I can hear that 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 person is you know really focusing on their breathing not making any other sound I can also tell how long that contraction's lasting generally on the phone by how Ah. long they're quiet for um and also what sounds they're making so some of the sounds you'll hear in the later stages of labor are much deeper and kind of fuller um kind of almost like guttural or in the throat um this kind of I don't really know how to describe it but it is there is something very primal around it and if someone's pushing you will hear often this kind of grunting almost or like a I mean I <laughs> don't know how far I should go this but like a like a low yeah lower sound in in the kind of coming from like the the throat and um I think often people are surprised by that um by Mm. maybe some of the sounds they make because it's not maybe what they expected or Mm. what they've seen in in tv or media we see women kind of sat upright in bed with their legs in some kind of stirrup or something Mm. and screaming and um you know that's quite rare um when you're pushing when it gets to the stage where you're pushing um there's actually in terms of what's happening in your throat it kind of corresponds to what's happening in your pelvic floor so you're pushing you know those feelings you're having that's kind of bearing down on your pelvic floor is um it's a low sound and it's if it's um it tends not to be like a high pitch sound because that almost like tightens your pelvic floor muscles Mm. um so there are definite changes in in sounds we hear and I think also women feeling potentially kind of inhibited that they can't make those sounds or they're embarrassed to make those sounds Mm. 
and actually it's fine to to let make it all as out. much noise as you want exactly I actually read something earlier about someone saying that they used sound as a type of pain relief um as in the sound they made helped them during the contractions to cope and in their first birth they'd been quite embarrassed by that or ashamed or not not wanted to make sound I think also because they'd done like a hypnobirthing preparation and they thought oh I need to not make you know I need to not be loud and that's not the case and then in the second labour they said that they found that 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 sound really helped Mm. um to kind of use that sound to make sound to help with the contractions I think some of those low vibration sounds are kind of almost like a kind of natural tens machine because they're the vibrations and mm, and it kind of I don't know it kind of really helps have this buzz that can kind of e- either be a distraction or it's just about breathing like remembering to mm. breathe and not hold your breath because that's going to really help I think that's what helped me the most with my last birth was but just remembering to breathe and open my mouth, not feel constricted, because that actually, mm. Ina Mae Gaskin, you know, talks about how the, the mouth is related to the sphincter, you know, the rectum and, and, and holes. And if you open your mouth, then it's going to make everything a bit easier to kind of let things travel along so anyway um but yeah. I want let's talk about well I just that was a nice segue into poo um pooing you can feel like you're gonna poo when you're transitioning right but then you can also poo during birth and lots of people are a bit worried about this but is it is that very normal is that common absolutely so from a purely kind of logistical perspective if your baby's head is nice and low down in your pelvis and kind of entering the birth canal then it is going to be pressing on your rectum and so to do like a cross section of your body you obviously have your bladder at the front which leads down to your urethra where you pass urine then you have your uterus and then you have your rectum so your uterus leads to your vagina and you know, your rectum is where your poo comes out, leading to your anus. So all of these passages are very close together. And when the baby's head is really low, it will be pressing on the rectum. And so it will be, in a way, A, it will be making you feel like you need to poo because it's pressing on lots of nerves in that area that tell your brain you need to poo. And it also will, you know, have essentially a baby's head coming down and out um, of the vagina will will force anything out the way that's there so if there is poo in your rectum when you're pushing then it will come out and that is absolutely fine we expect it we get excited about it you know if, if a woman tells me at a certain stage of her labor I might have already noticed certain things in her behavior changing but if she tells me that she needs to poo or feels like she needs to poo or I feel like I need to go to the toilet that's really good news it's really exciting midwives love to hear that um it's not something we worry about it's you know we want you to feel comfortable and actually I think it's almost a state it's almost like it's a stage of labor in itself is accepting that that's gonna happen I can sometimes sense that that people are fearing that they're going to poo and they're like oh I need to hold it in because I shouldn't do that in front of someone else because obviously it no 
other point in our life do we poo in front of someone else really um it's a very like intimate thing and we usually do it in a nice dark you know not necessarily dark but you know an enclosed space in a toilet usually quite a small room and yeah it's just about embracing it it's it's okay to poo in in labor so pooing is nothing to be embarrassed about absolutely not and actually is a really positive thing so there you go I wanted to ask about pushing now is there a way that you can suggest the best way to push because I've read many different things where some people say almost you should push when you breathe in because that's like your diaphragm pushing down which makes sense to me but also doesn't give me like the oomph that I thought Mm. I needed is there a right way to push in labour I think the right way to push is whichever way your body's telling you Mm. to push Mm. so I I've never had a baby I've never pushed a baby out of my own vagina I really believe that you need to do what feels instinctively right to you in that moment and probably the more you try and think about pushing in the moment of pushing the worse your pushing is going to be um so I guess there's two things here if you are in uh spontaneous labor so talking about labor maybe that started um spontaneously and and you're not using you know the types of pain relief you're using aren't inhibiting your sensations Mm. to feel the urge to push then I really always encourage for people to go with the sensations they're feeling to follow those urges sometimes you know women want guidance with what's happening and it might be relating to that fear they're having that fear of Mm. the baby coming out transition kind of this um summoning in yourself like Mm. this surrender of what's happening Mm. so I try to encourage people to to almost imagine the muscles your pelvic floor it's the same muscles you do use to open your bowels um that are kind of guiding how you're you're pushing your baby out and so kind of following those urges and like we said before with the poo not keeping those muscles tight and it might be worth mentioning as well that you're only going to have those urges to push generally when the contraction is there so the contraction helps guide you exactly it's going to give you that you're going to feel that urge to push when the contraction's there and at the peak contraction if you do have an epidural you're not going to feel those uh sensations as strongly or maybe not at all so it is a different process you generally will be guided by your midwife when the contraction's starting sometimes with an epidural women can still feel the pressure so they know when the contraction's starting so they know when to start trying mm. to push um and that's really helpful or sometimes the midwife will have a hand on your tummy to feel when that contraction's starting and she'll say okay the contraction's coming now and and you'll start to push we know that the types, the type of pushing um, where you take a deep breath, hold your breath with your chin on your chest and you're pushing down into your back passage. It's what we call Valsalva pushing or kind of coached pushing. Mm. And actually in physiological labour, this type of pushing isn't really good for the mum or the baby. It's better for the mum to follow her own urges to push 
and to trust in her body when to push. And the midwife can help to guide you, absolutely, if that's what you want. But I think an important thing to do is for midwives to not interfere in a woman's own instinctive urges to push and how she's pushing. Because as soon as the midwife starts to say to the birthing person, you know, kind of activating that part of her brain, that thinking part of her Mm. brain, that can disturb things. So I think if, as a midwife, if I'm watching someone give, you know, give birth, if I can see that everything they're doing is right, you know, that, that they're following their urges they're going with it the last thing I want to do in that moment is give her tips on on how to push mm. um I fully appreciate that there you know might be situations where you know you do need guidance and you do want someone to help tell you what what you kind of need to do mm. um but I think it's definitely a case of that kind of trust and that can take a bit of time to get to get used to those sensations. And we know that it can take, you know, up to kind of a few hours for, for babies to be born. If you're having, you know, generally if you're having a first baby, if you're having a second baby, it tends to be a bit quicker. So something, Izzy, something that has been brought to my attention that I'd never heard about with any other pregnancy is a thing called Group B Strep. Now, from what I know about it, it can really, if you do have it, it can change the place of birth that you're going to have and potentially you're going to be having antibiotics and for you and your baby when they're born. Can you just explain to us what group B strep is and why it's so important to monitor um, with a pregnant person? So just for some background, group B strep, or it, which is short for group B streptococcus, is a type of bacteria that's commonly found in the vagina. And about two to four women out of 10 will have this bacteria in their vagina at some point. The important thing to know about group B strep is it's what we call a transient bacteria. So mm. it comes and goes sometimes it will be there and sometimes it won't and it doesn't cause any problems for you yourself if you're pregnant Mm -hmm. it's not like an infection you need to get treated in pregnancy the problem arises with the transmission to the baby so if you have group b strep in your vagina when your baby's born if they're born through your vagina they'll be exposed to this um, bacteria and it can cause a infection in the baby. Now, this is really rare. I mean, I checked recently the kind of number of babies that will get this infection, and it's about one in 1,750. So we're talking quite rare here. Mm. Sometimes in pregnancy, it will be picked up that you have group B strep. So it might be that you've sent a urine sample has been sent off and it's the culture has come back saying you have group B strep in there. Might be a vaginal swab has come back that's been sent for some other reason. So it's often an incidental finding, which means we find it because we've tested something Mm, else. mm. But what we don't recommend at the moment in the UK is testing every single woman for group B strep. And that's because of this nature of it being transient, of it coming and going. So, for example, we could test you at the beginning of pregnancy and you're positive for it. But then by the end of the pregnancy, it's not there or vice versa. 
it's difficult to predict that at the point of you going into labour, if you have it present then. So generally what the guidelines are, if it's been detected at some point in your pregnancy, you will be offered antibiotics, which are intravenous, so into your vein during labour. And these antibiotics will protect your baby from the kind of potential risk of this infection developing when they're born. So another thing to bear in mind with this is, you know, we're offering all women with a positive GBS test, you know, antibiotics in labour potentially. So of all the women receiving antibiotics, um, a lot of those women actually won't have GBS present at the time of their baby being born. Um, which means they're kind of receiving those antibiotics unnecessarily. Unnecessary, yeah. So it, it poses a bit of a problem for us because we we just don't have at the moment a way of knowing which woman would benefit from the antibiotics in labour. So that's why we give it to anyone that's had a positive GBS screen in pregnancy. But we're not testing everyone because then we would be giving huge amounts of antibiotics to huge amounts of women unnecessarily. So when you're in labour, you're going to have an intravenous drip in you if you've had Mm. this test, which can be really off-putting, right? Yeah, so it it will have to check with your own kind of hospital what their guidelines are. Mm. So if you've been offered antibiotics in labour for GBS, um, some birth centres will still accommodate that Uh um, and some won't and they'll say, you know, we want you to be um on our kind of labor ward or delivery suite um so it's obviously there's always local differences there you also have a choice to decline those antibiotics so it's offered it's not something you have to have it's your choice and it's for you to make and to kind of figure out what's best for you and to kind of do your own research into it and decide what you want to do so it's not something that you have to have but it's something that will be offered to you in that scenario another thing as well is that generally after babies are born it might be that you know again this differs locally depending on the kind of guidelines within your unit but it might be that there's you know some level of observation on your baby to monitor them for signs of infection after the birth we wouldn't routinely give all babies antibiotics after they're born and you know in terms of antibiotics the reason why you know we always are mindful of of giving antibiotics when it's not needed is because we we obviously don't want the overuse of antibiotics you know can can lead to other issues as well so I think it's something that if you know some people are choosing to have swabs themselves um kind of privately because it's not something that's generally offered through the NHS is like a routine thing for all women. So if you're choosing to do it privately, I think, as you said, Jess, it's just thinking about how that might then impact other choices you have or you make in, in the course of your labour and birth. Is there any um, extra material if any of the pregnant people that are listening to this are um, interested in reading? Have you got any recommendations for them? Yeah, I always refer people to look at Sarah Wickham's website. So she's a midwife and researcher and she has done huge amounts of work on 
increasing women's and birthing people's access to this type of information and um, she has some really good books not just on on group b strep but also on inducing labor on anti-d on vitamin k so kind of covers these big topics that you encounter when you're pregnant and often have like never heard of before Um, Mm. so she's my like top pick for reading information that's kind of easy to understand and then helping you make a decision that's right for you i hope that's helped clear things up for people that have heard this term and just shown that you've got a few options there thanks izzy so we've talked about the stages of labor now let's talk about the logistics um this could be something that's giving pregnant people at this time a bit of anxiety about what you know you never know when you're going to go into labor if it's going to be spontaneous if you're going to have to end up being induced so it's this kind of unknown uncertainty and a lot of that can also impact on the logistics of who you kind of need to um, inform or look after or make sure are okay if you go into labor at a certain point in the, the night or day have you got any recommendations for people of how to kind of deal with that I think you know you spoke earlier about kind of when your labor might be starting um if you're starting to get contractions you generally still have a bit of time um to kind of prepare things at home before you make any kind of journey if you're planning to give birth in hospital so as midwives we kind of always tend to um advise people to call at certain points in their labor um and so one of those is about like the frequency of contractions and knowing when when to call um so it tends to be that if you're having kind of really regular contractions, they're coming every, you know, two or three minutes, lasting a good 60 seconds. Um, and it's been like that for, you know, at least an hour or two, then that's a good time to call your maternity unit or your midwife. And they'll do that kind of phone assessment with you and and kind of help you to plan whether it's the right time to come to the hospital if that's where you're planning to give birth that's generally rule of thumb for first babies and then second babies because we know or subsequent babies we know that they can come a little bit quicker once you're having those strong regular contractions we might advise maybe to call when the contractions are like every five minutes or when you feel having experienced labor before that they are, you know, these are ramping contractions. Up. Yeah, these are kind of my intense contractions, which I know are a sign of of me and being in labour. So at that point, generally, when you're getting those regular contractions, is when you'll have spoken to someone and they'll advise you to come in. So I think it's just about having that plan in advance of if you have other kids or pets and things to to make sure that you have you know who's going to be coming um to help you and you know if it's in the middle of the night which it often is um why is that you know (laughs) i think probably because all of the hormones that kind of you know help as we've spoken about before that help to our labors to progress are generally functioning better or at their kind of optimum levels when we're feeling quite you know safe and uh secure and kind of calm Mm. and i think that that just comes with night time when things are quieter and um you know if you think about the type of environment you like to be in when you sleep 
quite undisturbed, similar for labour really. So that is often the way early hours of the morning and it's often obviously then provides a bit more of a like logistical nightmare if mm. if you're having to get people round in the night. So yeah, definitely need to have sometimes the kind of option A and B mm. for those scenarios. This is a, a symptom of mine that I've been getting a lot recently. I'd like you to say, yeah, it means that, you know, uh, labour's uh, approaching. I keep on getting hot flushes and mm. I haven't had them throughout the pregnancy at all. Um, is that normal at this stage of pregnancy? And is that my body telling me something? Well, I'm not sure if it's a sign of labour as such. It might be just, <laughs> you know, never say never. I, you know, wouldn't want to say it definitely isn't. I wouldn't say it's a common one, but we know hormones do affect, you know, hot flushes, that kind of temperature mm. change. So it might be related to those kind of changes in your hormones towards the end of pregnancy. So we've talked about stages of labour and logistics, but what's, happen what's happening with the baby at 39 weeks? Is there much development apart from a bit of growth? So, yeah, baby definitely would have been kind of each week packing on a bit more weight towards the end of pregnancy and also towards the end of pregnancy all of the organs are kind of maturing um, and the lungs are being are prepared for breathing so something that's released in the later part of pregnancy um, for the baby's lungs to kind of work when they're born is something called surfactant and this is essentially something that's produced that stops um, the lungs sticking together so before your baby's born their lungs are there but they've never been used and they've never inflated before um, and so what needs to happen when they're born and they take that first breath um, is that fluid is pushed out of their lungs and then their lungs they'll start to breathe and the lungs will inflate and deflate and what we what needs to happen is that when the lungs are breathing that they're they're not sticking together inside and surfactant is what prevents that so that's what babies start to produce towards the end of the pregnancy and also another thing probably that's worth mentioning in terms of you know what's happening with your baby and what to expect in labor and what kind of to know to help reassure you is that in your baby's brains they are primed to cope with labour in the sense that when they're being squeezed because of labour contractions, there is a reduction in their oxygen because the kind of squeezing of the uterus will kind of compress on their um, on the cord and on you know their bodies and on the placenta. So there is this when you're in labour, there is during the contractions points where your baby's oxygen is reduced but that is normal and that's part of labour and that's also what they're kind of designed to cope with and I think that sometimes that's helpful to know because we have so much fear around generally babies kind of becoming distressed in labour and I think it's helpful to know that they're actually they're kind of designed to withstand that stress and the stress, you know, we think of stress as a negative thing, but in a way mm -hmm. that that stress is is part of the process of labour and they're kind of designed for it. 
obviously there are situations where babies aren't coping well with labour and we have ways of kind of detecting that but in general labour is a like stressful process for the baby but in a good Mm. way and they're designed for it and they're kind of you know expecting it (laughs) thank you so much Izzy for joining us for week 39 I feel a bit more prepped now I'm gonna go and lie in bed and lust after the anaesthetist (laughs) offspring and I hope everyone's feeling all right and um taking care of themselves and listening to their body at this stage of the pregnancy I wish you all the best Jess and um I hope there's not too much more waiting for you thanks babe So we've spoken to Izzy about the stages of labour, the logistics, the signs of labour, the sounds of labour and I really hope that has filled you with some knowledge that you can take with you on the day of birth and uh, you can choose whatever you want, uh, you can throw loads of it away, whatever you want. Um, I just hope that you feel informed and empowered and a little bit more confident about what to expect. Um, Everyone's birth is going to be different. And you may not experience all of those things or any of those things, or you may experience all of them. And I just wish you all the best if you're about to go and give birth and sending loads of love. And if you haven't given birth by next uh, episode, we'll see you for week 40, where we'll be chatting more things about birth and that damn waiting game and um, what could actually happen during the birth and after the birth. Um, What happens with delivering the placenta what happens with the baby's checkup so um sending you loads of love and wishing you all the best take care Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com